This is Dami. And this is Basayo. And welcome to Born for This. This week's episode, we will be discussing our thoughts on the Netflix documentary, Babies. The documentary has cool research findings for everyday use, so stay tuned as we unpack our thoughts. All right, so during this time of quarantine, we were looking through Netflix, um, just looking for something to watch, and we happened to stumble upon the docuseries Babies, um, and we know that Disney did one a couple years ago, so we thought maybe it was something similar to that, but when we clicked, we were actually surprised at what we actually found. Um, so Babies is pretty much just a um, six-episode docuseries that talks about the different um, developments and milestones of a baby's life and how that kind of... Um, determines different things that happen as you grow up. And so we just thought it was really interesting. We decided to talk about it because yeah, like why not? And so the first couple episodes, um, so there were six episodes, like I said, um, the first episode focused on love. The second one focused on first foods. Third episode was on crawling. The fourth episode was first words. Um, episode number five was on sleep. And then the last episode was on first steps. And so um, those are just the overall things that they were talking about. And so there was a lot of key things that we sp- found in each of the episodes that we just wanted to highlight. So my favorite episode by far was the first one, which was on love. Um, and the reason why I liked it is because there was a lot of great studies that talked about the different ways in which we bond with our babies and how it's important. And so the initial the initial study that they talked about was on bonding. And it's like, how is it that mothers get and develop their attachment with their babies. And so it was pretty much just saying in the in, in the beginning that when a mom first has her baby, she has this super high level of oxytocin, which is that bonding um, hormone that you hear about, like when women breastfeed or even when you have sex. And so um, it was just talking about how like right after birth, moms have a really high level of that. And so the researcher, and I forget her name, so forgive me, um, she was also wants to study how that looked like in fathers. And so surprisingly enough, what she found was that with fathers, they also had that same level of oxytocin, which I think is pretty cool. Um, just because a lot of times I think people um, give a lot of credit to moms just like, oh, because they had the pregnancy to bond with the baby. But it's like, no, like dads actually have an opportunity as well, too. And I think something that Masao had brought up was they found that these men would have high oxytocin if they were committed partners. It wasn't. Yeah, I think so. I think. Yeah. So it's interesting to note that, like, just being committed and being present is enough to develop attachment. I know that a lot of um, different um, kind of <clears throat> family um brands and, and influencing um, like brands are trying to kind of get men on this thing where it's like they're more involved as a father, which I think is really appropriate. And it's sometimes like, I think that's just interesting to me because it reminds me that just sometimes the most, um, what's what's what we would think is the most difficult thing in our head is actually something that's really simple mm-hmm. where it's like just actually being involved will help you to, to develop attachment. Yeah, which I think for me was kind of cool too, because obviously you see that um, all families aren't necessarily they don't all start the same way. So when you think of like foster families or adoptive families, like you think people always ask the question or they think the thought of like, well, I love these kids as much as I love my other kids. Or if you don't have any other kids, well, I love these kids, period. And I think it just goes to show if you're committed um, to having and developing a relationship with that child and really caring about the child, I think it's completely um, possible to do that. So that was one thing that I thought was really awesome. Um, another study that they touched on in the um, <clears throat> in the first episode was called the still face study. Um, so essentially that kind of looked at how babies kind of, um, interact with their with their parents, caregivers. I think in this situation, though, they were specifically focusing on mothers, but um, it looked on how they interacted with their caregivers and just pretty much saw that, like, if their caregiver went still-faced or just had a blank face, like, would the baby try and, like, do things to make that caregiver start to interact with them? Because it, it was pretty much just going to show that the babies, babies seek interaction and that they have a high level of um, ability to, to, what do you call it? 
interact. interact. So there you go. <laughs> interact at an early age and that it's not something that they have to have reached a certain age in order to do. So I thought that was actually pretty cool too. Yeah. It's like, as I'm like, <clears throat> as you're talking about these different things, it's so interesting because like I had mentioned, you see a lot of like fatherhood, um, like brands nowadays, which I think is really awesome. But you see a lot of these fatherhood brands. Um, I'm thinking of a few in my head right now um, that really push father's involvement. Cause I think a lot of the times fathers don't know how to be involved, but I mm-hmm. think it, it's, again, it's super interesting to help <laughs> you realize me. that it's like really the best thing that a man or husband could do in um, a certain context like that is to be involved. But mm-hmm. then what was the other thing that you had mentioned? About the still face study? Okay. Still face. But then also is like something else you could do is like interact with them with like your f- different faces and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And like expressing different emotions because when you smile, often babies smile back. And mm-hmm. so um, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and then the final study, which kind of plays off what we're talking about, but not so much. But um, it was a study based off of a larger study called the Gusto study in Singapore, um, which pretty much looked to see how parents um, interact with their children to see um, like how your different parenting styles influence your child as they get older, which I also think is pretty cool, too, because I know some people... Um, think like, you know, with a more Montessori, like a hands-free approach, like that's a lot of people really like that or like more authoritarian parents, like people tend to gravitate towards that too. And so um, one of the things that the study really hit on that I appreciated was the fact that it's not so much, um, it's not so much one style versus the other, because I think in any situation, like either style can have its role or place. But again, it kind of just shows the picture of like how you overall parent your child is how it's going to affect your kid growing up, as opposed to being like that one instance where you maybe took a more, let's say, authoritarian approach. And then you feel like, oh my gosh, like I ruined my child. And it's like, that's not actually true. And so I say that, I guess, as an encouragement to people that it's like, again, it's, it's, it's the lifestyle or the lifetime of what you do with your kid as opposed to that one instance. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) as people who don't have kids, obviously I'm sure that things are like super you know, yeah. tough in reality, but I think Masao's point to like it being the bigger picture is super important. I think um, kind of repeated bad behaviors are bad. Even honestly, one time off bad behaviors, depending on how bad the, or depending on how bad it is, can be like, you know, life changing and life altering. But I think um, it's important that all things considered, the environment for the child is positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, there might be a time where, you know, <laughs> we find research that says that you know, spanking your kids in this way is like really bad. And oh, man, you might feel terrible. But at the same time, it's like, well, was the the, the overall picture like positive and good and and conducive for um, uh, development? Then that's Mm -hmm. kind of most important, I think. Yeah. So that was kind of episode one. So episode two was focused on first food and like a lot of like breastfeeding content, which I as labor and delivery nurse, like I, I just love that because um, we're, we're able to teach and help our women like a lot of times with that first breastfeeding session. Um, And so it was kind of cool to see like the different ways that it kind of affects breastfeeding down the line. So one of the things that um, one of the studies had showed was that the nutritional content of your breast milk is um, based off of each baby. So for example, like my mom had three children. And so like her, her breast milk for my older sister is going to be different for me than it is for Dami. And so it's kind of just cool to see how the body like really um, makes specifically for that child. And so one of the other things that it had said too, is that with um, baby girls, if you have a girl that you're more likely to have, um, calcium phosphate as the two minerals in your body, which makes sense because um, as girls grow up, calcium is a really important thing as it ha- it's really important as it relates to like bone development and growth and stuff like that. And because of the relationship that calcium has with estrogen, um, it's actually really, really important as you grow that you have an appropriate level of both. And so it was kind of cool to see how that um, kind of played into the overall picture of breast milk. Um, and then I think another thing too that it said was that if you have a girl first, you're more likely to have more breast milk with subsequent pregnancies as opposed to if you had a son first. And 
I guess really, even if you had a girl second, you're still going to have a lot more breast milk, period. But they're just saying that if you have a girl first, that's even more like you're just going to be producing milk like no man's business. So it'll be yeah. crazy. Which is so interesting. And is I guess one of our missions and visions for um, Born for This is that that's a piece of research I was talking about earlier that I'm like, why do they think that? So I was mm. like, you know, I don't know. And I think one of our missions and visions for Born for um, <clears throat> Born for This is that people be interested in kind of emerging research and that yeah. they take, they, they find, you know, try their best to kind of research as best of their ability, but they also try and like translate that research into real life. And mm-hmm. so that's something that maybe, you know, we'll cover on Born for This at one point, or maybe there will be a researcher that'll be brave enough to kind of do that research, um, especially because I think something that's interesting, and maybe this will go on an overall review of mine, but a lot of the researchers in this um, documentary received a lot of pushback for the relevance of their their um, mm-hmm. research. Yeah. And so, you know, we're doing a review on it. So clearly, I mean, it's it's uh, the the merit of doing this documentary is important enough that, you know, it's, it's something that people are reviewing, people are interested in, people are having conversations about. So I right. think um, that just to circle back to the heart of this um, podcast. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty much all I had to say for this episode. Um, but yeah, I just I just thought it was really interesting because breast milk in and of itself is such an interesting thing. Oh, actually, I did have something I want to say. Talk about milk production. So there was actually a woman in the video, and I'm really happy that she had said it because I think a lot of women struggle with this, is the idea of producing enough milk. And so for her, she had always envisioned that she wanted to breast milk her, breast milk her children, yeah. breastfeed, <laughs> breastfeed her child's up until a year of age um, and just really like exclusively breastfeed if she could, but she got lucky and she had twins. And so it was really hard for her um, to be able to do that because she wasn't able to, in her words, produce enough milk for both children. Now, um, something I hear a lot of times that you can hear with single tent women who have single um, pregnancies or just one baby um, is that they also have issues with um, breastfeeding, but with breastfeeding, it is a supply and demand thing. And so I say this all to say that like with the way that the Baby's documentary discussed breast milk and breastfeeding and things like that. I just kind of wanted to use this as an opportunity to encourage women that you shouldn't feel bad if you can't produce enough milk because there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into breastfeeding than just putting the child on the breast and assuming that milk will just flow out. It's it's a it's a it's a process and like if you need help, it's like feel free to seek it out. Don't ever feel um, condemned or even bad about that because it's a lot of work. It's yeah, a lot of work. And I think to Basile's, um point, something that I always think is interesting in interactions that I have in my unit as a pediatric nurse. Um, with like the different babies that we'll have is that a lot of the times you hear women who will say, oh, I, well, on one end, not having a certain milk supply, but it's like, oh, what does that woman always say? Especially like, oh, my milk hasn't come in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what's interesting to me because I feel like it, that's such a varied experience I found from the women that I, we care for on our unit. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting because I'm getting interested in maybe this is something that you'll, um, we'll do a review on, or we'll look into a little bit more at Asborn for this, but like, what I mean, I know that there's different factors, obviously, that come with um, women's milk not coming in. Obviously, the s- supply and demand is huge mm-hmm. on a physiological end. Right. But like, and I know stress and all these different factors obviously play into right. it. But sometimes you're convinced and maybe, you know, there's more to what meets the eye. But sometimes you're convinced that women who seem to not be super stressed seem to, you know, be mm-hmm. putting baby on breast and, and, and encouraging that um, demand aren't really producing as much milk. Right. And so I know that there's like a percentage that says like, it's something really small where it's like truly there's only like less than like 5% of women that actually do not produce right. milk for their babies. And so it's like, right. what obstacles are we running to running into? I'll say it as an industrialized nation, just cause I feel like yeah. that is a huge thing where um, babies are, or rather women aren't able to produce enough milk for their babies. Because like I said, mm-hmm. it seems really stark to me yeah. in my experience. And then also in what I know, I think to kind of hit on that answer, I think maybe again, this is not an answer 
like what it actually is. But I think maybe that has to do with the fact of like the way that women deal with the fourth trimester, which the fourth trimester really has to do with like the postpartum period. There's not really a lot of support during that time. And so because of that, women, I think, don't have the time to appropriately like work through breastfeeding the way that maybe they have they can, because a lot of them are thinking about going back to work or um, other things that that kind of go into that not having the support as maybe other countries do. Because like for me and Dami, we're Nigerian and like back home in Nigeria, like a lot of times you have like the support of your mom. You have the support of like the women that live around you, whereas here it's like we are more of an individualistic um society so we don't necessarily have that as much which is not to say that's always bad but it's definitely different so I do think that um that probably plays into a little bit of what we're seeing yeah yeah so that was that episode next I'll just go through like highlights of some more episodes um so yeah so crawling was discussed um as a kind of a gross motor um milestone obviously but um something that I thought was really interesting um, there was like a study that was done where they were taking pretty much brand new babies newborn babies and they were seeing <clears throat> if they were able to crawl and so they were putting them on this contraption and seeing if they were able to like you know do the crawling motions and they found that they were able to do this which to me makes sense in a lot of ways um because Basau had noted that a lot of the times um you can put baby on mom's chest and baby will crawl doing kind of crawling motions towards mom's nipple to kind of get a good grasp so that makes sense Mm -hmm. but I also think it kind of adds kind of support um if if we need any if if anyone ever needed any more support for the importance (laughs) of like tummy time and all these doing these different things that encourage um muscular development in babies fine motor gross motor the whole gamut exactly so it's like it's not necessarily that the children aren't able the babies aren't able to do the motion it's just they they need the muscles to be able to do that and so you know things like um, nutrition but then also um baby exercises I put that in quotes but things like you know tummy time and things like um just different um positioning putting babies in different positioning can help them with those muscles um then the next episode was um first words so um there was a lot that was in this episode um I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is the importance of having a literacy rich environment Mm -hmm. um and children babies even um yeah babies namely I know Basau had mentioned that um you know, a lot of the times we do our children a disservice when we talk to them in baby talk um, and that we'd be really surprised what babies know um, or what babies kind of grasp onto in language, whether it even be in the the cadence of language, the rhythm of language, right, right. when we talk to them like people normally talk, which people don't generally talk like baby in baby talk. And so I think having a literacy rich environment is super important, which I think, and again, the, the documentary didn't mention this, but I'm just super into this and I, you know, make a whole bunch of plugs. Um, the importance of reading to your baby the minute baby gets out. Like that's something that we or do a lot. in your utero. In too. utero, but minute baby gets out, people are always like, oh, like I'll read to baby when baby like can hear me and stuff like that. And the reality is, is like baby can still hear you and baby is still having, you know, when babies, all they, when they first come out, all they do is really sleep and eat. But when they are awake, they still like interactions and things like that, smiling, you smiling back and reading can be really important to kind of, again, if nothing, getting them familiar with the cadence of language mm-hmm. um, and things like that. You were going to say something. Um, I actually forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll hit it later in our um, general review. Next episode was on sleep, which mm-hmm. I'm like super into um, yes, sleep please. hygiene, like could probably talk about this way more than most <laughs> people can, but um, sleep hygiene and babies. So um, one of the big studies that was talked about in here in this episode was um if omitting a nap if skipping a nap for a baby would affect the baby's memory and so they had a baby skip a nap and then they had the baby do an exercise and well rather they had a baby do an exercise and then they like skipped the nap 
and mm-hmm. saw if the baby could do the exercise in light of having skipped the nap. Mm-hmm. And then they did a, another group of babies that did take their nap. And the babies that took the nap were able to, um, they, they were familiar with the maneuver that the, um, the studiers were doing with the toys. And so while that's kind of like a short, a small, I guess, I guess the, um, not the con, but the, uh, limit the limit to that study is the fact that it was done in a really short period of time Mm. so it was you know it's not like we can see like the dramatic um effects of that but nonetheless i'm sure that there are long-term ones where it's like if you have a baby who's not sleeping well for a long period of time right that'll likely um lead to kind of a a cumulative disadvantage if i should say it like Mm -hmm. that so yeah Oh, and I know there was also another thing that I remember we had talked about after we watched about like growth spurts and how they don't actually happen in um they don't actually happen in spurts the way that you think that they do or something like that. Yep. I don't know. Touch so, on that, please. So yeah, that research and I'll have to put the person's name because I had to I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully having conversations with this researcher in the future. It was talking about how um while some people think based on the bell curve that we see in a pediatrician's office, where it's like, oh, 99 percentile, 50th mm-hmm. percentile, whatever, that babies are gradually growing every single day. Mm-hmm. So they start off at 21 inches. Maybe they do 21 and a half the next day, and then they do right. 22 the next day, or 20 centimeters, well, inches, inches rather. And so um, when they, the study ended up finding that babies um, were in the, in, the, in the sample that they had, they weren't growing a little bit every day, but they would have spurts. So day one baby might be the same baby might be the same height for two days. And then day mm-hmm. three, they were like three inch or three. Yeah. Three, not nah, maybe not three inches, but maybe an inch taller than what they were earlier. And so that's like really interesting. Right. I know that um, even when people have um, growth spurts going through puberty, that kids just shoot up. And mm-hmm. so I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, that's true. Yeah. No, I, I actually thought that was interesting because when me and Dom were talking about that, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of odd. But I guess it makes sense when you think about it in relation to like um, the adolescent period and how, how you see like the boys just shoot up and the girls like get taller as well, too. And it's just like, wow. But it, it, it makes sense, I guess, even as you think about it for someone who is younger, too. And so, um, yeah. And so I guess the final episode that we talked or that was in the docuseries was First Steps. Um, and so with this, it pretty much talked about how um, similar to how it did in the crawling episode, how gross motor um, development is very important. And so gross motor, for those of you who, who may not be familiar, is pretty much like large muscle group kind of thing. So like walking, picking things up, whereas fine motor might be like doing things with your hands, like picking things up with your fingers, writing, things of that nature. And so with first steps, you're going to be focusing more on the gross motor um, aspect of that. And so it was just, it was really cool. The episode wasn't necessarily my favorite, so I don't want to speak to it um, as much, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. It wasn't, ironically, it was like, you know, the culmination of all of the episodes. So maybe right. one might think it was like supposed to be the best episode, which it might have been for some people. Right. But um, yeah, it was, I think it, it for me, um, kind of paralleled the crawling episode. So yeah. Yeah. So concluding thoughts. I'll ask Basal first what her concluding thoughts are about the documentary, if we recommend it, things like that. Yeah. So I think for myself, I think overall it was good. Um, I don't think it, I think it had a lot of information that, um, is useful in the future. However, I did feel like it was a little dense um, and it didn't necessarily have a flow for me. Like even in the first episode, um, it was talking about like love and bonding and things like that. But I don't feel like, cause I know in the beginning it touched on the fact that they were following a specific set of babies, but I don't really feel like they did a good job. Like, expressing that per se like I felt like throughout even the whole course of all six episodes like you were seeing all these random babies that honestly like I started to forget about because I didn't realize that that's what the study was about so I didn't necessarily like that per se um and it sounds like you were more 
you were more listening for research and I was, <laughs> you were more listening for mm-hmm. research. Maybe that's why it was difficult for you to keep track of the babies. And I felt like I was more looking at Maybe. the babies and I was paying less attention to Maybe. the research. Which, yeah. I mean, I guess that could probably be something because that was actually gonna be my next point. That is, I felt like if you're not someone who's um, interested in research, it, some episodes were kind of like a bit like, okay, this is like a little overkill and it's kind of hard to follow. Like you, you very much have to be actively engaged as you're watching it. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to put this on in the background as I'm doing something else. Yeah. yeah. It's, it wasn't like that at all. But um and I think that brings the large point that I think researchers and I think people and, you know, bland, brands, excuse me, like born for this can do a better job at like translating that research because mm-hmm. it's so heady sometimes yeah. that it's like, what does this actually mean for how right. I'm going to raise my kid tomorrow? Exactly. Like it, if it, if it's not doing that connection, yeah. oftentimes the importance of research um, gets thrown by the wayside. And I think that's what happens yeah. with a lot of these researchers. And it's funny. I like that you mentioned that because it even makes me think about how like with new parents or... Well, I feel like it probably happens a little bit more to new parents, not that it couldn't to parents who have done this before, but is the fact that you're just being inundated with so much information that you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want to mess my child up. So you're reading all these books, um, going to all the experts. And it's like at the end of the day, which is something that I think one of um, the researchers had said was that really it's a cumulative advantage, right? So it's like, it's more, it more so has to do with the overall picture of how you raise your child as opposed to like that one instance or that one thing that you did wrong, which I think is kind of important to like point out because yeah, again, like, we're human beings. We're all going to mess up. We're not going to do it right all the time, but I think we all have a desire to do what's best for our kids at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously for like, again, more egregious, like, you know, things that shouldn't be done, like making, you know, addressing those. But I think, like you said, I think a few mistakes here and there isn't going to be life altering. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, I liked the documentary a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I think I was paying attention a lot to the babies. Like I had mentioned, I saw that one critique of this, um, excuse me, of this, uh, documentary was that, it was there was too many researchers and not enough babies, which I don't I know. See that? Actually. Yeah, which I thought was it's valid. I personally, like I said, maybe it's just because like I like got like I felt like I I liked seeing the babies and I was like kind of trying to find them in every single clip. That mm. maybe for me that wasn't as much of an issue. Could be. But um, I think something that the lens that I was watching this um, documentary with was how can we better take care of babies and make sure that mm-hmm. we're doing the best that we can, that they develop into um, people like into great people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and I won't even say adults because you know, right. People as children, people as adults, people as senior citizens, right. all that. Because adulthood isn't the ultimate goal really. It's, I it's, think it's so. a lifelong, thing. it's a lifelong journey. Yeah, exactly. And I so um, that was the, the lens that I viewed this in. I think as somebody who maybe can more easily, translate research in my head I was like man that would probably be important for this that would probably Mm -hmm. be important for this but I think that maybe the researchers in that context could have done a better job at connecting the relevance behind certain things Mm so right well we talked about how like okay the the research about the growth spurts and how it's like wow it's really interesting that children um actually probably have growth spurts within a day as opposed to you know over time like we think they do but it's like what does that mean for future research? How can somebody who's interested in this research kind of piggyback off of the research that has been done in this study? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the research that had been done in the study, as with most research, is done um, kind of at the tail end of somebody else's research. It it begins at the tail end of whatever somebody else discovered. So Mm -hmm. I would have maybe liked a little bit more of that. Um, It was really informative, though. I think if you were to take it as an overall picture, it's really good. But like Wasal said, I think 
a, a really a layperson might not appreciate this the way that we have. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we'll have to get a layperson on who not specifically for this documentary, but for other reviews that we do to kind of give them a certain lens just because it's easy for us to see these things that this is so interesting right. but for the person who's trying to raise their children. If they even have time, is it something that's interesting or is it something mm-hmm. that they'd rather somebody kind of digest for them and give them because right. um, you don't, you don't want to run the risk of having it just be another expert saying another thing that you can't keep yeah, up with. Yeah, exactly. Which honestly happens so much, I think, I see in our patient population where it's like, and in parenting in general with new parents, is like mm-hmm. having to keep up with this huge amount of information and trying to figure out what's most important and is right. prioritizing what's most important for my child specifically. Right. So I think that this documentary will definitely help you to kind of answer some of those questions that you're having and hopefully form your worldview of like, what matters for my child or what matters for children generally, because there are people we know who don't have children. And I think that this documentary can still be applicable to them. It's not something that maybe in the future you're like, Oh, this will be important in the future, but maybe important Mm -hmm. for now. Yeah. So yeah, I like the documentary a lot though. Yeah. I would say overall it was really good. Um, Yeah. I had no issues with it. Yep. So thanks for watching this episode. We hope you enjoyed. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Born for This. Stay tuned for our next episode. And as always, send in any questions or comments that you have to bornforsuch at gmail.com. We love hearing from you.